Hi, and welcome back to OA On Air, the official podcast of O'Neill & Associates. I'm Kyan Isaacson. This week, it's 321 Go with Cosmo Macero. Then Cosmo and I sit down with Andy Pavin. The three of us talk through internal communications during times of a public health crisis. And in two minutes with Tom, Tom's talking about how the coronavirus is affecting the ongoing Democratic primary. First up, 321 Go. Let's talk about something important. On air, our weekly look into the world of public affairs, business, culture, and the economy. I'm your host, Cosmo Macero. In this installment of 321 Go, COVID 19, the novel coronavirus, continues to have massive rippling effects across the global economy and throughout virtually every section of public life. We'll discuss all the latest. And March is International Women's History Month, and we're celebrating some of the outstanding women professionals of O'Neill and Associates. This week, Kyan Isaacson talks with Vice President Lindsay Toghill from our government relations practice, one of the most experienced and respected women working as a lobbyist on Beacon Hill today, and also the keeper of our annual Super Bowl and March Madness pools. Finally, we swing back to the virus, now a global pandemic, according to the World Health Organization and discuss how some habits we're being forced to change may become permanently changed when we return to normalcy. Whenever that is. Joining me here on 321 Go is Kyan Isaacson. Hello. The official voice of OA on air. Kyan, it feels like we haven't spoken in quite some time. We haven't. You were, Co- you know. I was away. Jamie was no, here. Jamie Dunbar was in. Yeah. Well, you a, are, I think you were out once. I think I was out. There's, you know, it's a lot of moving pieces here. I know. At OA I'm, on air. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get back. Welcome on back. The... Thank you. All right, let's get to it. All right, Cayenne, latest on COVID-19, the coronavirus. Updates literally every day, every hour, honestly. And as we sit here now, the World Health Organization has declared coronavirus a global pandemic. Um. And they've issued this statement, we're deeply concerned both by the alarming levels of spread and severity and by the alarming levels of inaction. And, and, I, and I wonder if that's directed at any particular governments or um, other health organizations or, 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 or what, but um, the World Health Organization is essentially saying, hey, the whole it's just the flu or it, it, you know, so more many people more people, die people are, knock it off. And, and, and be ready and, and implement the proper steps. Uh, German Chancellor Angela Merkel warned Wednesday that up to 70% of her country could be infected. That's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, that seems... <laughs> no, but like, when we it, think about us here it, in the United it, States, that's a staggering it, it, number. That's horrifying to hear that. Yes, That's I wasn't being cute. No, no, I, 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 yeah. I was very it was genuinely. Uh, U.S. Shocked. market slid as uh, a, a continued. Um, uh, in Italy, there are now more than ten thousand cases. The entire country is in basically lockdown. Um, schools and universities across Poland and Ukrainian capital will be shut for the rest of March. We're seeing that here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Co- uh, colleges every day, and it, it just so happened that it's. It, it, this has fallen around the spring bake, break time frame. 
Students are being advised not to come back from spring break. Spring break. I'm having trouble saying that. Spring break. Um, and they're basically canceling in-person classes for the rest of the semester and shifting all operations online. Iran, 63 more corona deaths. Their death toll over 350. And the White House is considering moving all Europe to a restrictive travel advisory. Crisis level four is where we're at. So, I mean, it goes on and on. The impact, uh, uh, let's talk about public events briefly. If you're, if you're running a convention, if you haven't already, you're very close to considering it necessary to postpone, cancel, or reschedule that mm-hmm. convention. Um, we saw Mayor Walsh cancel the St. Patrick's Day Parade, and I think, I, I'm guessing, I'm not him or his administration, but the thought process there is this isn't a necessary thing that we have to have. So All eyes on the Boston Marathon. That's yeah. the, sort of the next thing, which is a huge endeavor, a huge initiative, or a huge event to... Yeah. To have he to cancel. They haven't done that fluid. yet, but I think all eyes are there. What, um, I don't think that this is being blown out of proportion. I never did. I never did. Some people did. Some people still do. I do not. I believe there is a absolute global public health crisis and every level of public responsibility, municipal government, state, federal, and then consider yourself and every company and organization to partner with them needs to be alert and doing the right things to control this. And I, you know, you get to err on the side of caution, right? Because why not? Because we're talking about people's health and liveliness. And, um, but there's, I think what people don't always think about for government leaders, whether it be at the municipal, state, or, or country level, is all of these decisions have to be weighed with have to be made weighing the impact of what this looks like and does to to our economy in the short term and the long term. Those are difficult decisions. We're talking about people being out of work, people not getting paid for their jobs. Um, South by Southwest in Texas, annual, you know, huge music and everything else show was canceled. They're not refunding tickets. That's what their policy is. Apparently you agree to that. Um, and have said that, yeah, not only do we not have the insurance to cover that, but because this event was canceled, we've already laid off a third of our employees. I mean, that's, yeah. these are real repercussions that um, it may not be the most popular thing to say all the time, but that's what, you know, that's what a mayor and a governor and a president and a prime minister or, or whomever is running, um, making these decisions are, are having to weigh is at what, at what point do you go too far in one direction and um, have lasting impacts that yeah. you can't I, come I back I think you've from. done a nice job right there just putting your finger on the very difficult set of decisions that, that just about everybody is facing. C- uh, you know, companies, governments, schools, universities, households, families. It, 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 there is a ripple effect one way or the other, and it's not just a small thing to say, oh, yeah, just we're going to shut down. Oh, yeah, we're going to cancel. Oh, we, everybody work from home. It's it's not as simple as that, and there's a ripple effect, and um, it is a very precarious thing. So these decisions are not easy um, no. a- in any way, and there will be negative impacts one way or the other. Um, and and I, I, th- I thought the mayor um, summed up probably what everyone is thinking when, when someone asked him about, you know, the impact of and, and the decision to cancel the St. Patrick's Day Parade and other things that may happen. He said, look, I'm hoping in a month or two we can look back and say, wow, I guess we overreacted. 
Yeah. I really hope we I, I hope we do that. I'll, I'll gladly be say, yeah, I guess we, we overreacted. And and that's a, that's about right because there's no way to do this except being cautious and taking all the right steps. And there's no way to know. And quite honestly, he could we could say that in two months, but it could be that we're saying that because overreactions were made. Perhaps I mean it, that's we're never really going to know. Yeah. Hopefully, every community is every school department, mine included, are, are deciding some have already, nope. based on just caution or uh, you know an incident, a, a, a case of a po- test positive, whatever it may be, are deciding is this the moment that we have to do this? And on a very tiny scale, they, they know what that process is like when there's say a big snowstorm. This is so much more. Uh, uh, involved than that because this is a decision that you don't just come back from the next day no it, and it, you know first and for students you know college that you can they're transferring to online classes and I think that was a really smart move and um, we've seen the educational system in higher ed kind of really take a lead on this um, in making big decisions kind of early earlier than others I think in some cases um, and they should be commended for that but when you go down to as we're high school, middle school, two weeks of, or potentially longer, but even two weeks of shutting down and closing, that's that's a lot. It's a lot for kids to come back from um, when they come back after two weeks. That's that's a lot of curriculum and 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 learning for you know not to sound so so simple, but that they're not getting. Um, at, I don't know how you I don't I don't know what that looks like so I'm glad I'm not a decision maker right now um, I appreciate everyone who is making really hard decisions on behalf of the rest of us and you know thanks for thanks for in a way you are because you're deciding do we do this with my family do I go on this trip do I travel it, it, you know so it, it, I mean on a smaller yes, scale on everyone my is but you're right for like smaller scale big but global, yes. big <laughs> implications you're like I, I commend those that are doing it. Yeah. I, I wouldn't want the responsibility. So, All right, Cheyenne. Thanks. March is International Women's Month, and March 8th, more specifically, is International Women's Day. To honor the month, each week on OA On Air, we will be highlighting one of the amazing women that work here at O'Neill & Associates. We are proud to say that approximately 50% of our company is comprised of women. And now for our second edition of Women of OA, I'm joined by Lindsay Toghill. Hello, Lindsay. Hi, Kyan. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Lindsay is a vice president in our state government relations practice here at O'Neill & Associates, and we're going to ask you some questions. Fantastic. Are you ready? Sure. <laughs> so everyone's getting the same questions. Fun to kind of compare when things are all said and done. So we're going to start with, what was your first job ever? Not just as a career woman after you graduated college, but what was your first job ever? So it's a little bit of a lengthy story, but when I was in high school, I was a theater geek. I worked behind the scenes. We managed the light board. We managed the soundboard. We did stage management and dance competitions and dance performances and other community groups would come in and rent the theater for their events. And so they always needed people to tech those events. And so when I was even a freshman, sophomore in high school, I was doing some small amount of work on the weekends or on weeknights. It was really my first you know, exposure to working, although it wasn't at the time regular work. 
But what I really did like about it was that it gave me some confidence that I was more than just a student. Even though I was only a freshman or a sophomore, I really, I knew what was going on in our theater. We were entrusted to know what was going on in our theater, to be able to direct community groups that were paying us to do that. Mm -hmm. And it was really kind of empowering, even at an early age, to have somebody look at you and take you seriously, especially as a young woman. So you touch on it a little bit, but what would you say that that job taught you? What did it teach you? I've always been assertive. I'm not going to lie. but I, think I knew it, that about you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but I, I, I think it gave me confidence that I could be assertive. I could um, express what it is that I did know and what was possible in a way that people would listen to me, even at an early age. Good lessons. Very. So you have worked here. I'm going to get the year wrong so you can f- figure it out. But I know it's 10 years, 11 just, years? Just had 12 in February. Oh. Well, happy uh, OA anniversary. Thank you. Can you talk a little bit about what you do here at O'Neill and Associates? Sure. So I work in our government relations practice. I'm a vice president here, and I focus mostly, I should say almost exclusively, on state relations, which means... I advocate on behalf of clients, either for or against, um, pending legislation, pending regulations, and other things that would affect their business or their their organization. So really just, you are so many organizations advocate. Absolutely, I'm a lobbyist. I love, <laughs> I love being able to say that to people and see their reactions, but that's what I do. And what does a day look like for you? Pick a day, any day. So I I think one of the benefits, one of the most amazing things I like about my job and the career that I've chosen is that no one day is exactly the same. Mm -hmm. And so any one day I can have everything planned out with meetings, going to the state house, meeting with clients, talking to clients, having regular conference calls. Um, But all of that can be upended by a a news story that appears in the morning or a a public health crisis in in the case of what's happening now. And so all of that can be upended. Um, So what a day normally looks like for me is getting up, checking my email, finding out what crises are coming up that day, you know, trying to do the normal morning things. And then I come here to OA and, and just sort of do the best that I can on behalf of my clients. And sometimes it's really just blocking and tackling. A little bit. It's too. a lot of blocking and tackling. <laughs> it, it's interesting when you talk to people about lobbying and they think everything is trying to get laws passed that you know only one group of people wants, and that's so much not the case. Frequently, it's trying to keep things from getting passed that would affect so many people. I always say that we are kind of translators in the world of lobbying. We're the go-between between our clients or organizations mm-hmm. and legislators. We're sort of the the people that put everything together, we're the arrangers, the interpreters. Um, Without us, those conversations probably wouldn't be as productive. And also that sometimes it's one organization or client that you're representing that really speaks to a, a much larger part of the population that may not even be aware that this is an issue that needs to be addressed or changed. Um, and I've always found that that's really interesting is most often the work doesn't only affect a small group. It's 
for a much larger group that may not even be aware that it needs to take place. Correct. And what do you, other than the fact that every day is different, what do you like <laughs> best about your work? So one of the things that I've liked to, about working at OA specifically is that we really are allowed here in some ways and encouraged even to find the things that make us excited, the things that we really want to work on, the issues that we really care about. And I think all of us, is, even in state relations, have a breadth of clients and a breadth of perspectives. But there are definitely things that I like to work on more than my colleagues do. For example, I really like working in human services. Mm -hmm. That's something that I really very much care about. I really like an effort that seems like a campaign where there's a concerted effort that goes on for many months and really builds to some sort of goal. And that's really what I like is that I'm able to sort of find those things that I care about and then I'm given the freedom and the ability, quite frankly, um, to do that sort of work. And how great is it when you have a good win? It's amazing. And, and to be honest, I, I become pretty passionate about the work I do. So when I have a loss, it, it can hurts. be kind of crushing, too. I've seen you on those days, too. But the wins are great. The wins are fantastic. <laughs> and final question. What advice would you give women in the workplace? I'm never, I'm never one to shirk away from advice. Let's be honest here. So I'm in my mid-40s, and I grew up in a time when many women didn't enter the workplace. They stayed home as a full-time parent, and that is an exceptionally hard job. And my hat Kudos is off to them. to them. Absolutely. Couldn't do it, quite honestly. Exactly. And so I think what's interesting is that I've been able to sort of see the change in attitudes in the workplace and the way that women have really been finding themselves and, and, and growing this idea that women should be treated equally, should be treated with respect. At the same time, I think women have been for a long time trying to fit into a mold that worked very well for men for a very long time. And I've found that that, for me, mm -hmm. doesn't always work. And so if I could say one piece of advice, it would be find the things that work for you. It may not be what works for other people around you, male or female, and then figure out a way to make it work. Mm -hmm. Figure out what your goal is and stand up for it. Stand up for yourself. If you see behaviors around you that you do not like, point them out. If you want things to change, not to use the phrase, be the change, but do it. Yeah. And, and instead and you of- you put that into practice. I'm trying to. Stop trying to fit into other people's mold. There are still obviously expectations of a working environment that we all have to sort of fit into. But Just professionals. Exactly. But demand respect but also command respect well that we're gonna end on that note because you can't go better than that thank you very much thanks for your time all right cayenne um humans are a creature of habit at least most of them are um and part of trying to control or limit exposure to this virus has been changing some habits and reminding yourself ourselves of some important ones, like wash your hands frequently and properly, um, but also just pulling back from human contact a bit, the whole idea of 
social distancing, and yeah, we can just do without fine a handshake. Fine with that, by the way. Yeah, yeah, you what? Fine with social. I'm totally. I'm. I'm actually I'm very much fine with like it. you know dirty dancing. Like this is my dance space. Yeah, yeah. This is your dance space. That's how I feel. <laughs> um, and, and and some of those things, but also just habits and things we're accustomed to, or some people are accustomed to, or, or things that we do, or that, or that people like to do, that don't make a lot of sense right now, or at least elevate your 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 level of risk like getting involved in going to a big event with a big crowd well how do we know that habit has to be changed for, no, for right now because events are being canceled all over mm-hmm. the place having large conferences and meetings right conferences have, uh, are being canceled everywhere this this conference in Boston this biogen conference was kind of, is sort of the you know, the hot zone, the, the the ground zero for where the virus emerged. It was inevitable to happen somewhere, yeah. but that's where it was. Um, and even things like I mentioned shaking hands, going to going to a buffet. There's a Globe reporter, as, a, as we sit here today, working on a story about, what do you think about going to a buffet? And, and, and are you going to slow down on going to a buffet, you know? And, and I went to the Whole Foods salad bar today because I needed salad to go with the rest of my lunch <laughs> i won't get into it yeah but um i i was like is this the smartest thing i've done yeah maybe not yeah, but I I, mean, otherwise I, I you know i think these are things that people are going to curb and cut back on or just sort of suspend their usual habits that they may depending on how long this goes on when we return to a sort of a more normal state of uh, daily life those habits may change in some mm-hmm. cases be given up altogether i purposely chose not to take the tea today i walked from south station rather than take the tea to to our office here and um particularly as the weather gets nicer that's easier to do but to me in my mind like that's not a bad that's not a habit that i'm eager to change i'd rather i'd rather get the extra walk in it's it's fresh air it's all of those things like that's a great habit why not get into into that and maybe I won't go backwards I'm okay with that yeah that's one but when you talk about people not going to buffets or not going to concerts or things that goes back to our previous conversation which is you know what kind of effect does this have on our economy and that's where we start you know changes in social patterns and behaviors are what may also be things that take us backwards economy wise which is obviously not ideal that's a good point I I, I believe that people will I know I will just but people will do things less. You know, I'll, I'll probably travel less for a few hours, for a few years. I'll for prob- a few hours. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'll probably travel less for a few years. I'll probably, you know, I, I, I never, I'm, I've been talking about cruise ships for the, since this began. I never really was that excited about going on a cruise and I never planned to, but I never had ruled it out. Yeah. I pretty much ruled it out. I think yeah, that I'm a lot good. of people are going to look at that as, here's an opportunity to be trapped and and at, sea. And, and at sea or even at a port which is not much better because you can see the promise <laughs> yeah that that kind of thing and then think about things that are not individual habits but conventions we talked about higher education depending on how long this goes on the temporary shift to online education is probably going to create necessity and opportunity mm-hmm. For the growth of that type of education, which already is a big thing in higher ed, right? This could lead. This probably means some percentage of students in the future might be dissuaded from the traditional college experience and say, "Well, you know what? Maybe. I want an online program." Or they're going to get a taste of it and say, 
oh, this is this is actually really nice. I, I like, like this. I yeah. like the flexibility. I like that I don't have to be at class at a certain time or, you know, whatever it is, and change their behaviors going forward if, you know, if they still have more college ahead of them. Yeah. So, I mean, I think those are things that um, – it could change, and then and then just just the, the the way people interact with the economy and each other. So I, I feel like it's this is an event. This pandemic is an event that's it's probably going to alter some aspects um, uh, of life. What about co- just just co-working? The idea of I'm going to go to a facility with a bunch of strangers and and work around conference tables with them, so I have the companionship and the benefit of a collaborative environment. Yes, guess what? I'm not doing that. Do I work at a company? No, I work for myself. Great. I'm going to stay home or go to the go to the, you know, go somewhere and be isolated. I, I don't want to co-work with strangers in this environment. Stones. I also think it depends how long this environment that we're talking about lasts. If we're talking about a couple of weeks where people have to alter their behaviors, I don't see that as sticking on a lot of things. Yeah. But if this goes on for months and months, and that becomes a new normal, yeah, that's different. I I, I like. Agree. I thought I thought twice about it going to the salad bar today, but I did it. Will I do it again tomorrow? I'm gonna try and be better about bringing my own lunch that I know yeah. that I've controlled the, the cooking and the touching and all of that. Yeah, agreed. I I, I think we're in for months and months, if for no other reason than the vaccine is months and months away. You know. And, uh, and and we'll see. But uh, it is it is a fascinating topic. It is a frightening topic. And, and it's all consuming. And nothing it, has consumed everything in terms of the public consciousness and the public agenda like this. Which uh, is why we're talking about it so much even just this week. Indeed. It's that that's what's – this is what's on everyone's mind. That's right. Joe Biden won Michigan, everyone. Okay. <laughs> But then they had to cancel rallies because of, you know, so it's every story comes back to back to coronavirus and COVID-19. Indeed. Yeah. All right, Kyan, great conversation as always. Good to be back talking to you. Next up, the team here at O'Neill & Associates is talking internal communications during times of a public health crisis. All right, up next, we're joined by Kyan Isaacson, the official voice of OA On Air, and Andy Pavin, Senior Vice President in our communications practice. Andy, great to have you in here at OA On Air. It's great to be here. Thank you. Um, so it's uh, COVID-19 coronavirus. Uh, we have been advising clients uh, this week uh, and sort of providing some materials and support and guidance. Um, investment funds, manufacturers, colleges and universities, um, media companies, you name it, on primarily how to properly conduct uh, sort of very critical internal communications, how to talk to your employees, how to prepare your staff, how to prepare your organization for potentially significant disruptions and or changes or adjustments in how you do business um, because that right now is probably the most important sort of communications impact or challenge for a company or organization is just managing 
all the internal stuff and, and establishing policies and a process and contingencies. Certainly, if you're a business to consumer um, company, it, it, you need to talk to your to, to your customers and, and, and prepare them for any disruptions that they, they may experience. If you're having contact with actual customers in a you know individual setting, then you're going to reassure them that you're doing all the right things. But we've been focused a bit on internal communications and came up with a, a number of different things. And Kaya, let me start with you. Um, you know what? What are the concerns that you've that you've picked up on from different clients and in organizations that we work with? Um, what are they focused on in terms of how do we prepare the, our workforce um, to get through this? Well, I think it's differentiating what you can what you can do and what you can't do. First of all, a, a lot of people are looking to be reassured or calmed down, and you know, you as a as a boss or an organizational leader may not be the the person that can do that per se in terms of the grander scheme of how this is all going to play out. We talk a lot about, um, you know, reliable sources and following CDC recommendations and who, which the governor and the mayor and, and others throughout the country are, are pointing to as well. But you can figure out how you can at least quell perhaps some anxiety within your workforce. And you may not be able to address the larger picture, but you can say, here's what we're doing to protect you, um, to protect you know ourselves, and here's the plan for going forward for how we're going to address this to do our best to keep you safe, keep you healthy. Um, and it, it's a common theme when we talk about, you know, times like this, you got to over-communicate in so many ways. And um, I think that's just one of the things, which is just letting people know, like, we're on it and we're paying attention to it. Um, and where they can go for everything else that they need. Yeah, I, I think um, organizations, governments, sometimes make the mistake often, oh, we don't want to cause panic, and, and, and they suppress information. And I believe, um, and I think it's correct advice, that transparency and accurate information doesn't cause panic. It actually solves it. It, 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 it quells it. it. People want and need accurate information about where things stand, about how this is going to impact them, about how things might change. And and that's why it's important you mention official sources like the CDC and the World Health Organization and your state and local health departments. It's very important to focus on that in official communications because you know what? You can't control the outside world. You can't control, mm-hmm. and you shouldn't try. And your employees and your team and your staff and your whole organization are going to have access to that, and there's going to be something that freaks everybody out. But you can control how you could you communicate to them in the information you share. Right, Andy? Yeah, no, I think that's right. I think people have so much uncertainty about this issue um, that controlling what you control gives you a, gives you a certain measure of control um, that I think is important. And there's something else subtle that I think about leadership communicating and maybe even over communicating during periods of periods of time like this which is I think it's important for leadership to own some of that uncertainty what I mean is that if the folks in charge acknowledge the uncertainty in the air and then provide messaging that supports that it takes it away a little bit It, it doesn't leave it on the shoulders of everybody who works there which I think is also important because I'm sure the other thing that's going on within every business, and I know it's going on here, 
um, just having you know spent the, the the day here today, for instance, is productivity is harmed, even if everybody's at work. Oh sure. Because this is such a topic of conversation that you know, and how can it can it not be? But how do you manage to get your get your team to actually still focus on the business issues at hand? And what do you do when this becomes one of the most important things being managed or or, or facing? Every client or, or many clients or, or, or every company that, that that exists in one way or the other, in one way, in, 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 in some way, it, it's uh, it's good to, to know that we can provide some value there and provide some service and some guidance that's helpful in this, whereas, you know, the corner store, the dry cleaners or, or, or whoever else is has a certain role in the, in the economy, and when, when people stop showing up, that's it, you know. But I, I think that's a really good point, Andy, that you know, you, you've got to recognize that there's going to be disruptions in productivity and activity. And, and, and in some cases, an organization is going to shift dramatically just to, to manage this mm-hmm. um, because it's so disruptive to their supply chain, their product mm-hmm. uh, delivery, or whatever it is they, 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 they do. And I think that's important because people are looking – they're looking for answers and what again while, while no answers can really be given about what this looks like on a on a larger scale there is a sense of calm that comes with knowing okay at least i know what to expect for the next two weeks in my office or my work-life balance or how i'm going to take care of my kids or th- there's um a responsibility i think that employers have in saying okay we're going to help you get through this part because here's what we can help with. Um, you know, most of us spent the vast majority of our time where we work. I spend more time here at this office with all of you than, you know, I do a lot of other people in my life. So stability in that I think goes a long way in, in terms of calming people down on on a larger scale is if it, if at least you feel safe and calm and, that you know what is coming on a day-to-day of, of your personal life, you at least feel a little bit of control. I think that's where, you know, when people feel out of control is where more of the panic and, and hysteria comes in. And, you know, we talk about over-communicating and, and being transparent. It's very important. But also that what goes in line with that is don't over-promise or over-guarantee that anything that you can't. You know, none of us know what this looks like a week, two weeks, or, you know, months from now. Um, so that's an easy place, particularly, I think, with people that are more interfacing with the public or clients or, or customers and things. You know, don't don't make promises that you, that you simply don't know that you're going to be able to keep um, because then you're going to be battling a whole new issue. Uh, you know, this is changing day to day. Acknowledgement of that. This is what we're doing today. It might be different tomorrow. Fluidity is okay right now, um, and I think what a lot of us are going to have to get used to, too. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that um, one of the, another, another mistake that, can, that often is made is, is waiting too long to share a piece of information. It could be about not necessarily a public, the public health crisis itself, but, but, but an impact on your business and, and sort of forcing your people to to have to ask about something that you probably should have shared. 
Um, I, th I think that's part of transparency and being honest about things about business impact and if it's going to impact revenues um, and things like that. Some of the things we're, we're suggesting people do is to set up some kind of a, you know, singular point of information or information hub internally mm -hmm. or a regular interval where you communicate the latest on this, whether it's daily or a couple times a week, depending. So um, those are all things that could be could be common sense, but, but sometimes you have to gather them all in one place uh, in a useful way to, uh, to help an organization. Yeah, and it's especially important right now because so many companies, you notice it coming into Boston, whether you come in by car or public transportation, um, it's different than it was last week. It's different than it was yesterday. Yeah, it's different than it was yesterday. Um, but I, I, with people working remotely, I do have a sense that it adds to the level of anxiety and, and uncertainty because you're, as, as you were saying, Cayenne, that you spend a lot of time with us, right? As much time as you spend with members of your immediate family. Probably more so. But that's your community, and it becomes yeah. your community, and your and part of your part of your society. And if you're not here, if if we're all separate, you're sitting in your own little pod wherever you are, yeah, by yourself, alone with your thoughts. Right. That's where uncertainty, and uncertainty leading to a lack of productivity. Companies are hurt right now. This, I mean, you know, Massport is a client. We have hotels that are clients. That's the that's sort of the leading edge of yeah. the economic impact yep. of, of this health crisis. But that will ripple, as you said, like the corner store, that will ripple through yeah. these communities. And so all of the business, whether our clients or not, you know, trying to address both the uncertainty and productivity is a real challenge here, especially in a time when everybody's revenues are going to get Yeah, and, and the, the corner store is, 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 I, is both... Uh, literally, and it's also a metaphor for really the ripple effect through mm -hmm. all of the the different ways the economy interacts, and and in one industry that supports another, uh, or services that support all of us, uh, all those things get impacted. I will say too, and we've seen a little bit of this happen, particularly for companies that are external facing or you know have expect attention from the media for any moves that they make um, organizationally never forgetting to really take care of your internal team first um, is really important. And we get very caught up in how we're going to be perceived from the outside on any number of issues. It's a totally normal response for people to think about how is this going to look in the press or what is this person going to say about us if we you know, do this, that, or the other thing. Um, you got to take care of your own people. And, and it's easy to overlook that step of an internal email or conversations, or getting everyone in a room. Um, people don't want to find out things except from the source that they, they should be able to yeah, trust. Yeah, and along those lines, I, I would I would urge companies, leadership and companies, especially through th their HR departments, that flexibility right now is important. There are going to be there are going to be difficult business decisions to be made by a lot of companies regarding how do you treat people who who have decided to self quarantine. It's not a directive from government that you self-quarantine. It's a recommendation. Mm -hmm. Do we pay you for that time? Do we not pay you for the time for that time, which could lead people to make decisions that they think are in their own best personal interest and wind up being not in the interest of society by coming yeah. into work? But I, I would urge leadership 
not to hold to hard and fast rules yeah. and to try to manage through this iteratively. Um, and I think most people would, I, I had a conversation last week with a, with a public employee who called me um, with, with an issue that he wanted to bounce off of me. Um, employee in a city department whose child went to Italy for a semester of foreign study and then was brought back. None of the employees wanted the mother to be back at work for two weeks because her daughter came home from an affected country. Yeah. Reasonable, right? Fair enough. The municipality doesn't have any work from home rules set up in its HR department. It It's public money that is paying this person. Do we force her to take her limited paid time off when it's not a requirement that you stay home? These are the kind of decisions that I think, you know, the 10-second, the, the um, my advice to them, cutting it to, to sort of 10 seconds, and it's just doing it as a favor to somebody I know, was write a memo to all department heads and walk through the way you're thinking about this. Yeah. Because if you put your thinking out, not publicly yet, but he, his question was, what do I do if I, if I give her two weeks off with pay without having to take PTO, and then I walk out to my car at the end of the day and, you know, Fox TV is there because somebody has told them about this and dropped a dime on me. And my answer was, that's the point at which you share an internal memo that was to all department heads because anybody who reads it mm -hmm. can't not take issue with you because you're trying to do your best to manage yeah. this difficult situation. That's it's one that's one discrete example, but I think there's a whole lot where HR professionals are going to have a really difficult time with this, partly because they have difficult decisions to be made on their own, partly because they're managing up, they're worrying about their CEO or in publicly held companies. Their, their, their investors, their shareholders, their boards. It, everybody's got to kind of manage through this gently. I also think it's such a great lesson in, I mean, just human decency and how you treat people matters. At the end of this, we're all going to come back, God willing, we're all going to come back together and come back to work and how you were treated throughout this process by your employer, by your company. Where they, did they give you flexibility? Did they take care of you when you needed you know, a little bit of extra give and take is really going to matter when we all, you know, come back and say, is maybe is this a company I want to work for? Right. I, I don't feel that I was treated well. I was taken yesterday by the memo, Cosmo, that you shared. Um, that was the Washington Post. Sure. Direction. Yeah. Um, I thought that was great. Where, yeah. where part of it was you know, embodied the things you're talking about. In yeah. Terms of I mean, there, there were there were explicit lines in it that said, look, if people work from home, we assume that they will they will manage their child care appropriately. In this situation where all of this was unexpected, we hope you will do the same, but we will understand if while you're working from home, you may have to work intermittently mm -hmm. because your child's school might be closed and your child care might not be available. All those kind of human responses, you know, the Post's a big company. Yeah. It has investors. And yet there's something important, like you said, Cayenne, about like, staying connected on a personal level, on a human yeah. level, with your workforce because they're the people who are going to drive you back to profitability. Yeah. All right. Excellent. Andy, thanks a lot. My pleasure. Thank Cayenne. you. Cayenne, we'll see you. Up next... Two minutes with Tom. Hi, Diane. Hi, Tom. 
been a very busy week, hasn't it? It has been, really, and on so many levels and in so many ways. So I know you've been talking about the coronavirus um, earlier in the show. And so what we wanted to do was take a kind of a left turn and talk about the impact that that has had on politics in this country. Because mm-hmm. we have, obviously, a, an ongoing Democratic primary. So rallies are being suspended. So the two Ohio rallies, which were to be held by both uh, Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders, were canceled. So that we prevent uh, crowds from coming together in the numbers, which they both typically have been able to kind of generate crowds of 8, 10, 15, and 18,000 people. You know, an awful lot of people coming together in, in, in this day and age with, with the corona, you know, as, as vibrant out there as it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so separating people and, and keeping separate is really very important. The second thing we've been reading about is that the the um, debate between Biden and Bernie Sanders was going to be held, I think, in Arkansas. Um, they've both gone back to Washington in the debate on Sunday evening. It's going to be held there mm-hmm. without a crowd in the audience. and um, Which will really change the dynamic. Even though an audience isn't supposed to applaud or interject, an audience does give a certain different level of energy to a room. Right. I think the other impact is really the economic impact that uh, America is looking for leaders. But this is in a day and age when a stock market drops precipitously, as it has in the last eight of ten trading days. Um, It was up 10% again today. And there seems to be no no floor. And it, by the way, indicates that we're truly in a bear market. Uh, we've gone below all all marks for just a, a simple correction of the marketplace. We're now in a bear market. Um, and so all bets are off. And the impacts, not only on Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders, on what they're going to say to people to provide leadership in this day and age of uncertainty, but what the impact of of the declining markets, these capital markets have on the president of the United States, who has had it as his milestone as we've gone through the first three years, or three and a half years of his administration. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, 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 a, it's a correcting force which is going to have a, a widespread impact. And we also, you know, looking ahead a little bit, we don't know the long-term repercussions of what this is going to do beyond just beyond the economy in terms of policy and politics for whomever is the, the next president um, in the White House for what they're well, going to be dealing with. That's exactly right. And nobody knows what we're going to be dealing with in a week, let alone the next presidency. Um, you know, my son is an actor in New York, and on the side he tends bar uh, in Brooklyn four nights a week just to keep ends meeting. And you know, he, he, first of all, he gets there by subway in New York, and he doesn't want to use the subway anymore unless he sees that he's one of two or three people on the subway train. Otherwise, they'll walk. And they're, the few patrons that they have at night are getting to a point where the owners of the bar are simply saying, you know, it doesn't make us any sense to us to keep this place open. It costs us more to keep it open than it does to to keep it up and serve. Um, so, and it's to close it. And I, I just think that it's just a tip of the iceberg, whether it's hospitality or whether it's, you know, face-to-face businesses. They're all, there's going to be some, 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 some term of suffering here. 
sure this isn't the last time we'll be talking about it, but th- um, stay tuned for more, as as always. And on a high note, uh, we can look at uh, Joe Biden, who is the apparent nominee in the, of the Democratic Party, and in hopes that he brings unification and good feeling back to the presidency of the United States for the American people. Thanks. Trying to look for a high note to end up on. <laughs> I like that. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Diane. Bye-bye. Bye. That's it for this week's episode of OA on Air. Don't forget to subscribe, whether it's on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, or whatever your favorite listening platform may be. You can also check us out on our own O'Neill & Associates website, 